Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. James 1, 1 through 18. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Last week we began a, a study of um, the book of Jacob, the book of James. And uh, as we studied, began that study, we saw um, the author indeed was Yachav, uh, Yachavus, and so his name then transitions all the way over to James for us. But James was the half-brother of Jesus. No one corrected me when I had step-brother up there and. Those two things boggle my brain sometimes, and so I always, and I knew when I was going into it, it was like half-brother, 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 but somehow when I made the slide, I put in step-brother. And so anyways, he was the half-brother of Jesus, big difference. Step-brother would mean that he didn't have um, potentially the same mother, that he wasn't related at all. But he was a half-brother because they all shared the same mother, and that is Mary, okay? So he's the half-brother of Jesus, right? But to us today, what we're going to be focusing on, again, is a reminder as to who he is writing to. Very important for us to remember is a Jewish man writing primarily to a Jewish audience. Doesn't mean it doesn't have applications to us, but we need to remember as we're going and we're understanding what is being stated, who he's writing to, why he's writing to them. And so he's writing to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. Those are, again, back to Acts 8.1, okay, when... Saul of Tarsus was beginning to his ministry, if you would, um, dark ministry of 
persecuting the church, right? And so as the persecutions were rising at the end of uh, chapter 3, or 3, 7, Acts 7, we see the, the, the killing of, of Stephen, the persecution of Stephen, right? And everyone's throwing their feet or their clothes at the, at the feet of Paul or Saul at that time, right? And so in Acts 8, 1, we see that the, the church then is scattered as a result of the persecutions, okay? I think it's important for us to comprehend this is who he's talking about, okay? So this is a group of people who are being persecuted for their faith, okay? It doesn't mean necessarily that um, they're being uh, just not talked to, but rather they are being what? What's happening to them? Say, someone said it back there louder. Martyred, okay, but put in prison. I heard you, Chuck, okay? They're put in prison. They're, martyred means what? Killed. killed, okay? They're being killed. They're being persecuted. Do you understand? They're, they're, they're losing jobs, okay? They're being forced out of their homes. Does anybody remember what Saul did? In, 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 as we went through the book of Acts, we just finished it, okay? But it was many, many months ago that we were in that section, okay? What did Saul do? He got letters from the chief priest and he hunted them down. How did he do it? He was going house to house. He went house to house to find them. Let that sink in for a moment. You haven't got a clue what persecution's like. At the end, we'll come back to the Church of China. They got a clue. These people we're getting ready to talk about that John or John James is writing to were the people who've been driven from their homes, scattered throughout the world, because people are going house to house to find out whether they really believe in Jesus. And if they confess that they do, they'll be thrown in prison and potentially be stoned to death. Let that sink in. That's who we're talking about. In the light of all that, we came then to what I consider to be the theme found in verse 17 and 18, and that is that it's the Father of lights who is the giver of all good gifts and perfect bestowments. So I want you to just ponder that for a moment, because that's where we're going on this, okay? That the Father of lights, the creator of the stars, the God of the whole universe, declares that he is the giver of all good, all good gifts, morally good gifts, and perfect bestowments. And he's done it in such a way that he also gives life by his own will, by his own word, in order that we might be the what? First fruits. Okay? Now, this statement then comes at the very end of James' opening statement. Okay, remember this is a letter. And so I've skipped to verse what we call 17 and 18 as the theme because that's where I think that he brings it out. But it comes at the end of a statement. But in the beginning, at the very end of that part, just before this, we have the verse 16, which I didn't really talk about last week. It's kind of a transitional. And it starts off with, do not be what? Deceived. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. 
don't be deceived. I want you to know this, that every good gift and every perfect bestowment comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no what? Variation or shadow of turning. So don't be deceived. Based upon everything I told you and everything I'm getting ready to tell you, there are people who want to deceive you. You can't be deceived on this one. You need to put this down as what? This is truth. Well, what's it the result of? Well, it goes all the way back, right? My brethren, count it all joy when what? When you fall into various trials. Do not be deceived. Every good, morally good gift and every perfect bestowment, including those trials, come down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now, there's a whole lot that's going to go in there, and we're going to take two weeks to unpack it a little bit. Okay, This week, we're going to talk about um, the means of gaining wisdom, but from the trials. So we're going to break that part open a little bit in the very beginning of it. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I love when passages tell me my outline, and all I have to do is just kind of flow with it, okay? Um, I potentially could have had four points this morning, but there's three points. And we're told that there is a certainty in life, not just death and taxes, but that you're going to have what? Trials. When you fall into trials... There are certain ways, then, that you need to respond to them. And James tells us how we're supposed to respond to them. First of all, I'm supposed to esteem the trial as joyful. Secondly, I'm supposed to entreat the giver of gifts. Thirdly, I'm supposed to embrace the lessons that are being taught. There's my outline. And so there you go. You got all the, 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 the big lines already to fill out, okay? And that's what we're going to actually follow through, right? But I know I start off with a warning. This is going to cause you, if you really listen to this and you really accept it and you really apply it, it's going to cause a massive paradigm shift to what you're being taught in the world and what you probably have when you came into today. What we're going to talk about today is not pleasant. It's going to cause you to squirm. It causes me to squirm every time I do it. And you know that the whole thing is you never want to teach on the book of James because God gives gifts of trials in order to teach us what? Patience, and we don't like what? <laughs> yeah, getting patience. So here we go. We're going into this. The first thing is I'm supposed to esteem the trial as joyful. Now, there's a whole lot of conversation that goes on with what joyful means. You know, is it, does it mean happy? Does it mean glad? Does it mean this? Does it mean just accept it? You know, because this is kind of something that in the midst of it all, this is kind of this. Well, again, we like to what? Have the Bible determine what the Bible says, right? We're not going to worry about the word count very much. You can go look at it, but most of us understand it. It literally means to esteem it, to consider the worth of it, okay? But I'm supposed to consider the worth of this as what? Being joyful. So what does it mean to be joyful? Well, in Matthew 2, verse 10, we see that the wise men traveled all the way from the east following a star, and that they went to Jerusalem because that's where they expected the, the king of the Jews to be born, right? And so they go and they, they, they go to Herod to find out, where is this king to be born? Well, Herod doesn't know. Herod calls in the, his, his wise men, the scribes, right? And so they said, well, in Bethlehem and Ephrathah, because you know, the, this is what the, it says. So they come out, and what's the first thing they see? 
They see the star. And then we're told that they rejoiced with great joy. So you tell me, what do you think the wise men were feeling like at that moment? Was it just a, a cerebral, oh, this is exciting, um, good. As a matter of fact, this is great, okay. Or were they really pumped, excited that, wow, the star is there, look, it's going where I want it to go. I think that's how they were. Now, they probably weren't speaking English, but that's, you know, they were all full and bubbling up and jumping on the camels and whatever else they were doing, they were pumped to go, right? Matthew 28, verse 8, the woman left the tomb with fear and joy. Now, you know which woman we're talking about, and you know which tomb we're talking about. Jesus is buried. But when they get there, they find out what? It's empty. The stone's been rolled away, and there's an angel there, and the angel tells them, you're coming here to find Jesus. He's not here. He's been what? Oh, okay, okay. I kind of thought that was going to be, so I'm kind of joyful about the moment. This is really good. So, yeah, he told me to go tell the disciples, so I guess we ought to just, hey, by the way, Jesus rose from the dead. It's really okay. It's good. It's all good. Just like, I mean, you knew it. It's just the way you said, right? Do you think that's how they were? That's not how they were. Were they bubbling over with excitement? Yes, they were. They probably were running. They were pumped. They were excited. Jesus is risen. He's risen. He's not there. The tomb is empty. This is powerfully exciting. You get where we're going so far in this? Are you feeling squeamish already? John 16, verses 19 to 24. Jesus says, I'm getting ready to leave, and you're going to have sorrow, but the world's going to what? They're going to be excited. Yeah, the, my enemies, when they kill me on the cross, and they throw me in the tomb, they're going to be pumped. But you guys are going to be like, oh. What happened? The world was pumped. The disciples were, oh, right? He says, but then I will return to you. And your heart will rejoice in your joy. No one will take from you. Because I rise from the dead, you are going to be pumped. You're going to be excited. With such excitement, with such joy, that no one's going to be able to take it from you. Which means what? They're going to try. Do you get it? There's going to be a battle. They're going to try to steal your supply train. They want to take your beans. They want to take your bullets. But you know what? They can never do it. They can't take your joy from you. Matthew 5, verse 10 to 12. I personally didn't put the synopsis of it up there. Do you know what it is? What happens in Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12? Does anybody know the bigger context? What's Matthew 5? What's it start with? The Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes. So, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Because they'll receive, they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are, right? So, what's Matthew 5, 10 to 12? <laughs> oh, blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are those, are you when they persecute you. For you will have great, what? Joy. Rejoice. Rejoice in the moment. Philippians 4, verses 4 to 8. It's a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your moderation, your lifestyle, be made known unto all men. Why? Does anybody know it? Because the Lord is at hand. What's he say next? 
Rejoice in the Lord all again. I say rejoice and you know, let your moderation be made unto all men. The Lord is at hand. What's the next statement? You can look it up. Good job. Oh, Kaylee Rain, I am so pumped. That's exactly right. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, with all things, with prayer and supplication, with, yeah, you know it, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your lifestyle, your moderation, who you are on the inside be made known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord's at hand. Therefore, don't be anxious, but rather in all things with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. Do you get it? You know where we're going. So what does joy mean? Based upon the Bible, what does joy mean? Does it mean like just to endure something, just to get through it? Or does it mean to be happy and glad and excited? It means to be happy, to be glad and excited. That's what it means. So when trials, and we'll come back to this word next week some more, we're going to talk about, unpack what this word poimeo uh, uh, means, okay? Now, that, but when the trials come, what's the first thing I'm supposed to do? Rejoice. So don't, don't just give me the word, define the word for me. Put another word, give me a synonym. Be excited, that's exactly where I'm going, Elijah. Be excited. All right, I'm not asking, don't put your hands up. Don't put your hands up. But in your mind, put your hands up. How many of you are really pumped and excited when, when God allows you to go through trials? Is it your first thought? Wow, God, I am so pumped. This is so cool. I'm so glad my car was wrecked. <laughs> you know, God, I'm so glad that, you know, this thing just happened to me. But don't forget the context. Who's he talking to? He's talking to people who are potentially losing their life. They're watching their kids be taken from them. They're watching their mom and their dad be thrown to the lions. That kind of escalates, doesn't it? Just a slight little bit. And here I'm worrying about my little bitty what? Persecutions of life. I got it. Count it as joyous. Consider it. Esteem it. Give it the worth of being something that you would be pumped and excited about. Why? Knowing the purpose of the trials. Well, what's the purpose? The testing of your faith, the testing of your faith works patience. Now, the first word we want to consider there is that word testing. We'll consider it again more next week when we consider the, um, the idea of the periosmos for the, um, the, the trial as well. But understand for now that the word dakimatsu, dakimion, dakimas, dakimatsu, um, is the idea of proving the genuineness of something, that it's real, that it's genuine. It's the real deal, okay? So again, you've heard, if you've been here long enough, you've heard we talk about it, it's the, the, the putting the acid on, the, on the, the ore to find out whether it's gold or it's fool's gold, right? It's the... It's the the jeweler who has the monocle and he looks at that beautiful gem and he recognizes that it's not a diamond but it's a cubic zirconian. Does it make sense? That's our God. Our God knows. He discerns. He knows exactly the difference between this and this and this and this. 
That's why he gives the word of God, right? Hebrews chapter 4, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the, the heart, right? And so the Holy Spirit then there is to convict us of these things. One of the tools he uses then for us as the testing point, the discerning point for us of whether we are true in our faith or not are trials. 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 We'll talk about that a little bit more. But in Galatians 6, verse 4, and 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28, this word is used about letting a man prove himself. Let him examine himself. So 1 Corinthians 11 says that some are eating and drinking of the body and blood of Christ in an unworthy manner. And so we ought to be able to prove ourselves. We ought to test ourselves to find out why we're doing That's why when we have communion, you'll note that we have a devotional, then we have a time of, of, of just for you to pray, self-prayer, for you to test yourself. And if you are not living right with God at that moment, if you know that you're in sin, you shouldn't be participating. In, in, in that. That's why Jesus, that's where Paul comes with the, the words from Christ, and he says, some are eating and drinking unworthily, and they're eating and drinking sickness and damnation, or not damnation, I'm sorry, um, death even unto themselves, okay? 2 Timothy 2.15, if you've been ever in Awana, okay, then you'll understand that verse, because it's the Awana key verse, and it says, um, study to show yourself approved, but literally it's the word is to be earnest, to be earnest to show yourself approved, genuine unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but that you're approved unto God, that there's something that needs to be proofed, okay? Um, as well then, Romans 12, 2 tells us from verse 1 that I'm supposed to offer my body as a living sacrifice and not to be conformed to the world, but rather be transformed in the renewing of my mind that I might be able to prove Dokimas, dokimion, I might be able to prove what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. There's a part where it is tested and it is shown to be true, shown to be genuine. There's a whole lot of opinions that are out there, a whole lot of wills that are, are bantered about. But in the end, they will be tested, assayed with acid, if you would, and fire, right? Just as 1 Corinthians 3 says, that the reality is that one day you're going to die, and all your works are going to be tried as by fire. And those things that are wood, hay, and stubble are going to be burnt up. But those things which are silver, gold, and precious stones will remain. There is the testing. There is a saying that goes on through the trials of life that bring us. And so 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, 1 John 4, 1 also tell us to test all things, prove all things, dokimas, to test them for genuineness, Right? And then in John, 1 John, we're told to test the spirits, that, that in all things we are to be discerning individuals. I am not to be a, a, a judge, judge not lest you be judge. However, I am supposed to be a fruit inspector. And there is a, a part where I am supposed to be discerning whether something is genuine or not genuine. And generally, that genuineness is going to be determined by how it responds to trials. Do you get it? I'm going to try that thought against the Word of God. And I'm going to bring it against the Word. I'm going to take the thought captive. I'm going to, I'm going to assess it against the Word. And I'm going, to, I'm going to shake it up. And I'm going to sift it out. And I'm going to do it. And if it doesn't stand against the Word, it's what? It's of the devil. Does it make sense? And if I don't know the whether it's of God or it's of the devil, what am I going to do with it? I'm going to leave it alone. 
It's not for me. If it clearly isn't from God, it's not for me. If an individual comes and they look good, they sound good, but their life isn't consistent with a, a follower of Jesus Christ, should I follow them or not? No. Exact, no, that's exactly right. So it's a battle. Now, are, are we waiting for the perfect individual? No, of course not. However, by the, by the general context of their life, right, you've got to be careful. Okay? So trials are devices, if you would, that God allows into your life, whether he causes them or allows them. We're not getting into that at this very moment. Okay? Next week, we talk about that. Whether he causes or allows into my life, in order for my faith to be tested. Now, in that, it's being tested, right? And let's assume for a moment that it is genuine. What then is the purpose in it? Because he says it works what? Patience. So we come to this concept of patience. And for those of you who are old enough to watch the wide world of sports and all this kind of stuff, um, the one that I remember the most is before most of you were even born. And that tells you how old I am. I remember Velasi uh, Alexiev um, being the first man to lift 500 pounds in, in competition. And I remember, I believe the, 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 the guy in second place was from Bulgaria. I mean, it's, this goes way back. And I remember him getting that 500 pounds to this point and just kind of, and then it falls. He wasn't able to, to do it. This is our word for patience. It's the Greek word hupomeno or hupomane. The, the, the hupomane, the, the noun, hupomeno, the verb. Basically, both meaning the same. Hupo is under, meno to remain. Literally to be able to remain under this event, this troublesome situation, if you would. Okay? That, that you're able to be there and you're able to stay under it. So, you're clean and jerk, right? You're down. You got to take the, the weight. You got to get it up. Then you got to be able to stand. Then you're going to do this type thing, okay? But at this moment, you didn't make it because now you got to get this other leg back here. And then you got to hold it. And then you got an arbitrary judge sitting there who's determined when you finally have gotten the form right. And then he's going to count the three or have his little timer that he pushes. And then at the end of the three count, you hear the beep, then you can let it go. If you let it go before that, it's not a lift. It's not a lift. What do you mean it's not a lift? I mean, I put it here. I got it there. And the other guy didn't do that. It doesn't matter. If you don't put it all the way up and hold it, it's not a lift. You didn't hoop on money. You didn't hupomeno enough. You faltered. You failed. Now, Alexiev, I don't know this for a fact. I don't know this, but I know weightlifting. My dad had weight sets and stuff like that, and we kind of did some of that stuff when I was a kid. Then I grew up and got past that. I'm just joking for those who weightlift. Anyways, um, I became spiritual and said I don't need that anymore. <laughs> I'm just joking. I really am. Um, but I learned a lot in, 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 in those things, in, in the lifting the weights. And um, in a, the idea of this weightlifting stuff is that 
you are not lifting competition weight in the gym. You're preparing yourself for the competition. You're lifting probably a whole lot more than I'm going to lift in your preparations. But nobody tried that 500 pounds. Maybe they pl played it out here or there once or twice. But that's only when they're going against each other. Even there is a competition concept. The, the idea of training is you're doing reps at what you can do. And you're building your muscles to the next level. But the reality is when you get into a competition and you got other guys who are building their muscles and ready for this moment, when you get into the testosterone moment, right, and nobody wants to what? Lose, right? You're continually pushing to the what? To the next level, to a level that you weren't able to do necessarily in the gym. Now all of a sudden you're in competition and you're able to lift weights in hupomene, something that you wouldn't have hupomene just three days before. Are you tracking with me? But Alexiev could never have lifted that 500 pounds 12 years earlier. It took him 12 to 20 years of training before he ever got in the platform of the Olympics. He was building, building, building for the moment. I don't know. Maybe now, but 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I don't know what I would have done if they came and took my wife and my kids. God's grace, right? That's all I can do. If we sang the song, right? Your, your grace still amazes me. Because that's the only thing that would help me to have the strength in that moment is to do that. But in general life, God is building me. And he's bringing and allowing trials into my life in order that I might grow in patience. Why? Well, that's the second half of this statement. Because the building of my patience perfects and completes me. The building of my patience, the building of your patience, perfects and completes you. This is so cool for me. This, this again, like yes, last week when we talked about how um, with God there is no variation or shadow of turning. I mean, it's just like a statement that's like, like he doesn't change, get it? Don't even give me a little bit. Well, maybe he doesn't. He doesn't change, do you get it? Well, nothing is lacking in you. And it's going to only come through working your hupomene. I'm not going to even use the word patience here. I want to transition in my brain to the word endurance. Do you understand? Because that's really the concept of what's happening here. There is whether you are able how long to stand up to a troublesome situation, a trial that's going on. And God is going to use this thing to teleo, okay, so to perfect you, that's the, to telestai, telestai, Jesus on the cross, it is finished, it is ended, it is complete, it is perfected, it is matured. So he is maturing you through these trials, but he also is then the holo kleroi, the, the, whole, the holo is really 
whole, okay? He is making you all parts to come together. And then he says, with nothing missing. Do you ever do jigsaw puzzles? I don't know how you do jigsaw puzzles. I used to always start with the, the, the outer part. You know, you get all the, the straight edges and you make your frame. Is there another way? That's exactly right. You're a professional jigsaw maker. You get it. Yes, watch, watch people and you, you'll bang your head sometimes. Like, no, start with this. Is it always easy to find all the straight edges? If you're OCD, like I am, okay, and most people who do, do that, honestly, Christina, you're OCD, okay, and, <laughs> and it's going to drive you bonkers until you find that last piece. But somewhere along the line, you have to say to yourself, what? I got to move on. I can't I've searched through this box three times, and I can't find this piece. It's hiding. It must be lost. So I'm going to start with the, the, the sky. You know? I'm going to start with the sky. And, and there's sky pieces in with the trees. So I can kind of, I'm going to start with the sky with the tree because the sky just by itself is all blue, right? Unless there's a cloud or whatever, and then I'm going to kind of work my way from that. But then, you know, you're getting all these blue pieces out, you know? And you're still what? You're also you're missing a piece. Anyways, I'll make shrink because you guys get it, right? There's never a piece missing from the jigsaw puzzle. Do you get it? Your life is being put together like a jigsaw puzzle, and sometimes there's a big old empty spot. Maybe that's where the, the house or the cabin, I know the picture I'm thinking in my brain. You can put whatever picture you want there, okay? Maybe that's where the cabin went. Maybe it's where the, the fence line went that was in front of it. Maybe that was the tree. Maybe it was the, the rose bushes coming up the side. You know exactly which one I'm talking about. Yeah. So, yeah, you give me a house, you know which, which puzzle I'm thinking of. Okay? And so, but somebody else owned that puzzle before me. And their dog ate three pieces. <laughs> and I hate it at the end. For real. That didn't, I'm not saying that happened there. But isn't it, when you get to the end and you find out there's pieces missing, It'll never happen with God. God is using trials to fit the pieces of your life together perfectly. And I promise you, he doesn't have a pair of scissors and files that he can make the piece fit the spot he wants to put it. You've seen those people, heard about those people who, who take the jigsaw puzzle and they say, well, I know this piece goes here, so they trim it so they can fit it into the spot. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah, for real, people do that. And... and what happens in the end? It doesn't work. It just doesn't work, but they don't know. Anyways, God doesn't do that. He has a perfect plan for your life. And there are pieces that have little round spots that fit on top of pieces that have lobes sticking out. Tumors sticking out. And he's got pieces that fit together in a perfect way. That's my God. So Romans 5, verse 1 to 4. Let's turn there real fast. Because I think it's important for us to see um, a couple of these passages as we come through. The Romans 5, let's turn there. Verses 1 to 4. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The picture is is one of you're in, in the sea, in the ocean, and then you're coming through the breakwaters into this 
um, into this harbor. Okay, and so the terminology that's being used is is the terminology that gives you this picture as you come in. Okay, that's what's happening. So that you're justified by faith. We have peace with God through coming through this entrance of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory, we boast, the word is to boast, we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And I'll read verse 5 for the fun of it. Now, hope does not what? Disappoint. God's got a purpose. He doesn't waste a good trial. Yeah. He doesn't waste anything. He's making a tapestry from your life, and he's weaving your life with other people's lives. And every time a good trial comes into your life, he's using it only in your life. He's using it in somebody else's. And sometimes he brings a good trial into life or allows causes, whatever, we'll talk about that again next week, into somebody else's life, and it's not just for that individual, you're getting the, the side benefit out of that. Okay? Hebrews 12, 1 to 11. We don't have time to read all through that, but that's the, the part we're surrounded by so great a cloud of what? Witnesses, right? And so we're told, in fact, I think, do I have this here? I can just go there and read it right away for you. Um, that that Jesus, that we're supposed to be looking into Jesus. Nope, I don't have it. Anyways, who for the joy that was set before him did what? You know what that word is? He hupomenid. He hupomenid the cross. For the joy, same word, for the happiness, the joyfulness, the gleefulness that he was looking forward to. The cross, or the, um, the garden. Do you remember the garden? What was happening with Jesus? What was he doing in the garden? He was praying, but in his prayer, what was happening? He was sweating as it was drops of blood. He's asking for the Father for what? For the cup to be removed. But in the end, what does he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Joyfully, we don't see him saying that, but we read about it later, joyfully accept that. And I go forward. Because for the joy which was set before him, he endured the cross. In the same manner, then, if you continue to read that passage, it talks about the chastening that comes to us. That we have not endured against sins. We have not fought against sin under blood. But then we forget as well that, that the chastening of Yahweh is for a purpose. Right? And so that God does it so that we can endure, so that we can be grown and that we may have the joy as well that's before us. So God has a purpose um, in, in allowing those trials come. Well, i got to keep moving. Um, so the second thing we're told to do, command, if you would, because it's a command, and uh, each of these are commands, um, that I'm supposed to entreat. I'm supposed to, if I, so the conditional, if I lack wisdom, what should I do? I should ask the one who has all wisdom. So you can read these passages, oops, in in Proverbs, okay, and it talks about the, how wisdom is crying out to fools to, to, to come to her for wisdom. If you lack wisdom, come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me. But that requires humility. In order for you to go and ask for wisdom, that needs you need to admit that you don't have it. 
But how many mistakes we make when we say what? Oh, I got this covered. I got, I, I, no, I can, I can handle this. No, I don't need your input. I got it. And so there are other passages on your sermon note sheet as well that you can look at. But I cannot separate myself. I, God has the source of all wisdom and understanding, so I need to go to him. So if you lack wisdom, right, you need to go. You need to ask God. Why? Because he gives to who? All men. Do you get it? He gives to all men liberally. I know, we don't like liberals. Wrong. Wrong answer. God's a liberal. He gives to all generous, genuine, say it again, generously, yeah, generously, liberally. He gives it. He wants you to have wisdom. He's not holding it, hoarding it. No, I've got to go to somebody else. Go to somebody else. I'm not going to do that. No. It's like, man, I got it. It's here. All you got to do is ask. You have not because you ask not. And when you ask, we'll get there in James 4. And when you ask, you ask amiss. Yeah. It's amazing how many of these themes are going to play back out as the, the book of James continues on. But Matthew 7, ask and you shall be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock, the door will be opened unto you. Which of you has a son? He asks you for um, for a fish and you give him a serpent. It doesn't happen that way. If you being evil know how to give good gifts. Well, that goes back to the giver of every good and perfect gift, right? And so he wants to give you those gifts. So in the midst of the trial, so think about it, in the midst of that trial, you're being taught what? Patience, endurance. How do I get the endurance? I can't do it on my own, so I've got to do what? I got to go back to dad. Dad, help me out. I can't do this. Parents, you get this. Dads, you get it. When you watch your sons, you watch your daughters, whatever, I got this. I, got, I don't need you. I got it. I, I can handle this. Right? And you're sitting there thinking what? Yeah, I, I, I lived that before. I got it. I, I know the other end of that, and I know it's going to play out. All you got to do is ask. I'm right here. I can help you out. That's our eternal father. He wants to help us. He wants to, and he's waiting, waiting. But wisdom says again, back up there, that we reject wisdom. When the day of calamity comes, what's she going to do? She's going to laugh at us. Isn't that sad? Wisdom is the picture of God. You continue to reject God, reject God, reject God. No, God, I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need you. The day's going to come when all of a sudden you need him, and he's going to say what? Sorry. This is the consequence of, of your decisions. You didn't need me. You didn't want my help. This is where you're at. Now you have to what? Deal with it. That doesn't sound very exciting, doesn't it? But that's the word of God. God says, when I allow a trial, cause a trial, whatever, in your life, I have a purpose for it. I know it's going to help you grow in endurance. But I also know that you lack faith. So when you get to that point where you recognize it, what do you need to do? You need to come. You need to ask. But when you come asking, there's a caveat. 
you need to ask in faith. A double-minded man receives nothing. A double-minded man won't be answered. Now, God in his grace can do it if he chooses to. But 1 John 5 tells us that if we ask anything according to the will of God, excuse me, he know, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, that we receive then the thing which we've asked for. So if I ask anything according to his will, according to something that he has clearly revealed, right, then he's, I don't say obligated, because that's like, now I can force God. But the reality is he's obligated himself to do what? To answer it. I mean, if, if, if he tells me, Jesus said, before this you have asked nothing in my name, but now I'm telling you, ask in my name, and it shall be what? It shall be given to you. I mean, there are multiple places I can go to with this one, where God has declared overwhelmingly that if I ask anything according to his will, even Psalm 37, if you delight yourself in the Lord, um, he will give you the desires of your heart. But that's you being in his will and, and having things according to his will. So if you're asked something according to his will, you know you're going to have it. You know you're going to get it. Does God want you to be sanctified? We just came through the sanctification things, right? Does God want you to be sanctified? Yes, this is the will of God. Does God want people to be saved? Yes, he wants people to be saved. Now, he gives them the right to say yes or no. I get that, okay? But the fact is, is he going to be working in their lives? He's going to be working in their lives. Why? Because God desires that. Does God want you to stand up to trials? Yes, he does. Will he give you wisdom in the midst of those trials? If you ask. That's exactly right. If you ask. But he will. He will give it to you. If you ask, stop doubting. Stop doubting. Well, I don't know if he'll answer me. Then you're right. <laughs> then you're right. Self-fulfilled prophecies. Self-talk is very important. I'm not getting into the psychology type stuff. But self-talk is important. You speak what you believe. You speak what you know. Is true. That's why you're supposed to think on that back that Philippians 4 passage with rejoice in the Lord, right? And we end it. But that's why finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things could be a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think lagitsumai, think on these things. And what's the things that you both learned and received of me and heard and seen? Do, and the God of peace shall be with you. It all is a blanket thing. It all goes together. You can ask in faith. So you can read all those passages that I'll talk about. Hebrews 11, without faith it is impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he exists, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Finally, embrace the lessons being taught. I need to move quickly, but this is huge. The first part was my main part. I wanted to make sure that I got to. These are subpoints, if you would, in my brain. First of all, trials are equalizers. What lessons are we being taught? Trials are equalizers. That's what it's talking about when the, the, um, let, the, let, the, the, let the lowly man glory in his exaltation, let the rich man glory in his humiliation. Trials are equalizers. When they come into your life, they're not a respecter of persons. They didn't come to you saying, oh, well, this is a rich person, so they don't get this one. Oh, this is a poor person, dumping on him. Or, no, this person is poor. Nah, they, they've already had enough in life. They don't get this one. No, cancer 
doesn't know a class differential. Persecution. Remember again who we're talking to, who we're talking about. Didn't know a class differential. If you believed in Jesus, remember, this is the trying of your what? Of your faith. The trying of your faith. Because in the end, your tr the trial is going to reveal what you really believe. So trials are equalizers. They come across. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no troublesome situation. This is our word trial that we're going to be using. Again, we'll talk about more what it means next week. Okay, But there's no, there's no troublesome situation that's overtaking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful in that he will not allow you to be troubled beyond what you're able to bear. Endure. But will, with that troublesome situation, also make a way to escape? That's asking for wisdom. That you may avoid it. The idea then is that it's going to happen amongst all of us. Okay? Secondly, oh, and God lifts the humble and humbles the lifted. We're not have time to go through this, but He equalizes through this, and you can look at all those verses. Secondly, persecutions are purifiers. Jesus said in Matthew 24, and he's talking about the end times, and I put it up here knowing I'd be running out of time. It says, and Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one what? Does that sound familiar? Isn't that what he just said in James 1? Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Which means that what? There's a possibility for people who seem to be believers to be what? Deceived. In the end, remember when we talked about it, if they are, they're never been, they've never been what? A true believer, okay? Because they're, they're, the subject of their faith is wrong, okay? So, take, take heed, no one deceives you, for many will come my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All of these are just the beginning of sorrows. And then they will deliver you up to tribulation, and kill you. I call that what? Persecution. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will be scandalized, will be offended. Scandalizo is where we get our word scandalized. They'll be caused to fall, to stumble. Okay? We'll betray one another and we'll hate one another. This is talking about us, y'all. Do you get that? He's talking about believers. He's talking about those who look like the church. Okay? They're going to be hated by all nations. Some, many are going to be offended. They're going to betray one another. They're going to be hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Because of the tribulations, the trials, many will be offended. Because of the, the sin, many will fall to temptation. They'll grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. He who... Hupomenes. You're standing under the weight. How long? Until you hear the buzzer. Do you get it? You can't put it up and count to three and then drop it. It's not your count. It was the judge's count. That's exactly right. Wouldn't you hate that? have that thing up there and you're going, dude, I just counted to ten. 
Oh, the buzzer's broken. Yeah, you see him keep doing this. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't happen with God. You got to keep it up till the buzzer goes off. And this, this is the best part of this passage. I mean, that's all awful, right? You got to understand what this verse says. This is going to just boggle your brain. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. What's the word gospel? Somebody tell me in the Greek word. Who knows the Greek word for gospel there? Ungelios. Good. Very good. Okay. Ungelios. What does it literally mean? Good news. Don't slide this under a gospel thinking this is talking about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Get rid of that. That's bad. Don't put gospel there. Good news. That's what it says. And this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world. What's the good news? You're going to be persecuted. They're going to hate you. They're going to drag you out to be killed. And those who aren't real, what are they going to do? They're going to stumble by the wayside. They're going to betray you. They're going to do all these things. Are you still looking forward to the end times? Amen. With joy. That's exactly right. Do you get it? Now we come all the way back to this thing. And so the apostles, right? Peter and John, they're in there before the Sanhedrin. And so they can't find anything wrong with them. They got to let them go. But that's not, can't let a good trial go by. And so before we let them go, we want to what? We're going to beat them. We're going to beat them. And so they walked away. They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer. Do you get it? Bring it all the way back to who James is talking to. They rejoiced. They rejoiced because they knew that the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning, was the giver of all those good gifts and perfect bestowments. And he allowed this moment in their life. And they were glorying in the moment. I don't have time to go into Thessalonians. But Paul gives a testimony to the, the believers of Thessalonica that they were the same way, that they were rejoicing and that they were counted worthy of the same sufferings as elsewhere. Chi Church of China, the equalizer. So, do you ever think about this? So the poor guy, right? He's caused no threat. He's no threat to China. Not at all. I mean, think about it. What does he have that he can be a threat? Nothing. He has faith in Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about this. That faith in Jesus Christ is enough of a threat to China that they actually pay money to have agents to find them and to drag them out, to give them honor, to exalt them, by dragging them out in order to send them to jail. So that time of persecution, really, for that poor man, is really an opportunity to, to be exalted. But the rich guy in China, he comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Now he's worrying about what? His riches. And he's got to make a decision whether he's going to be willfully giving up. So now that same trial, one was just pure exaltation for the poor man. Now... It's a moment of what? Humiliation for the other guy because he's going to lose everything and he's going to lose his pride even in front of his peers because now all of a sudden he's a state what? He's a state enemy. 
you can bring that into any one of the other countries, right? But that's kind of how it plays out. It may be in your lifetime here. We think as Americans, Jesus will come back and rapture us so we don't have to go through it. You need to apologize to believers around the world for that stupid arrogance. Persecutions are purifiers. I believe that we'll go through it and that Jesus Christ will purify his church in this country and those who are real will stand. They will not follow the deceptive teachings of antichrists and false prophets. Jesus said in Matthew 24, and you go check me out later on, he says that the false prophets will be able to do such marvelous wonders that if it was possible, they would deceive even the very elect, which means it's not possible. But those who are real will stand to the end. They will stand firm to the end. So, how do you respond to troublesome situations in your life? Trials, when they come. Are you excited? Are you joyous? I'm going to leave it there, right? Warning, warning, warning. Are you willingly accepting the training which God is providing you to grow in your faith? That's what's happening. Are you excited that you get to be in the gym of life and grow in his grace and knowledge? What are the troublesome situations revealing about your faith? Ooh, we'll talk about that a little bit more next week because they're revealing something about you, whether you're real or you're not real. Have you truly committed your life to Christ? If you're not standing up to any of those trials and you are continually denying Christ in the midst of those trials, then you really need to analyze that. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. Thank you for your love. Thank you even for trials. That goes counter to my flesh, Lord. Um, but I know that you are the one and only true God. You are sovereign over all the affairs of the nations, but the details of my life. And that there is nothing that, enter, that can enter into my life that hasn't gone through the sieve of your love. And that you have a purpose for allowing this troublesome situation into my life, Lord. I pray that you will perform the work which you have promised that you would continue to perform. That you would conform me into the image of your son. And I pray that for each individual that's here, Lord for your church as a whole. Lord, that we would desire to be conformed to the image of Christ, that you might be glorified. We ask this according to your Son's name. Amen.